This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hi, everybody. It is Tamar, and I am here today on the Common Sense Podcast with Jen May. And Jen, uh, thank you so much for joining yeah, thanks, tomorrow. It's really great to have this time to talk with you. Yeah, awesome. So please introduce yourself to everybody else out there. So there's a lot of me to get to know, so we'll be kind of getting into a lot of those things coming up. But briefly, I'm Jen May, live in the Chicagoland area. I am a former police officer that has had to change my life around in significant ways in order to get into a new career. And I know several times on your podcast, Tamar, you've you've come to people that have kind of chosen new paths. Well, I had to come, I had like on my, my path was blocked. So I actually had to come to a new path all on my own and find out what else I was going to do in life. So a little bit of a flip of the story there. Um, and, you know, basically, how did I fall out of policing and then how did I have to reinvent myself in order to provide for my family and be a single mom and, you know, just take care of things. So, yeah, I'm 43 and I have two kids. One is in a sophomore in college and one is 12 years old and he has autism. So, you know, I have a lot of different challenges in my life that I've been faced with, but I still feel like I've come through so much and and I'm, I'm kind of almost at the mountaintop, if you would, you know, you would say so. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know which direction to go, but I think, uh, I think <laughs> you know, you talked about how you were a police officer and then you basically had to find your new path. So let's mm-hmm. let's start with that. Yeah. So I got into policing post 9-11. I really wanted to try to help more in the community and instead of trying to, to to heal the world in a really big way. I kind of had dreams of like going to the UN and like trying to heal the world, make the world a better place. I knew, noticed I didn't have any contacts at the UN, so I thought maybe, you know, trying to impact people on a micro level and help people that were, when you're, when you're policing, you're really helping people who are in the deepest trauma, right? Whether it's a DUI or they can't afford a, a light bulb to fix their tail uh, tail light and we pull them over to write them a ticket. You know, how can you heal the world when you're really trying to almost police it and get people in trouble also? So my job as a police officer, I took very seriously on the, like, the, the community policing side. How can we not write tickets and actually do intervention at that crisis point. You know, how could we help you get a baby car seat into your car instead of writing you a ticket for not having one? So that was kind of where I was going uh, with the policing thing. And I ended up working at a, a college. So I was a fully certified state police officer, but I worked at a local regional college in Illinois. And there was actually a campus shooting there on February 14th of 2008. So that's a, just a really huge impact to the community. There were five students that were killed in class. And while I wasn't on duty at the time, it really impacted my mental health, just being exposed to crime scene, being exposed to the community response, the terror, the fear, the, the absolute devastation of losing students. 
and I was dealing with some of my own personal traumas. I, I actually was in an abusive marriage at the time and just kind of everything came crashing down for me. So I ended up through various different pathways. I ended up having a mental health crisis. I, with my child who's autistic, he was in his very early toddler years, wasn't sleeping. And I was trying to do night shift as a police officer while also taking care of a two-year-old who screamed all the time because he couldn't communicate and I just didn't get enough sleep. So I ended up with sleep deprivation and psychosis. I ended up in a mental health crisis facility and the laws in my state are if you are receiving mental health care that you can't possess or carry a weapon. So this crashed my career that I had to go seek mental help. So I just want to pause there because that's a lot to digest and see if you have any questions for me. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, I know that you've made a a career trajectory change, but I assume in your current state, and we'll talk about that in a second, your career trajectory change, but in your current state, could you potentially return to the police force? No, I wouldn't be able to because I take medicine ongoing. I think it's really important to be upfront and honest about a mental health challenge that you're facing. There's so much stigma out there that you're broken, you're bad, your life is devastated if you have a mental health crisis or if you have an ongoing mental health condition. So I think part of that stigma is written into the law here in our state that I think it would be much better if we got officers help up front and then it wasn't illegal for them to continue work. But I'm one person and I really just decided that maybe it was taking on too much anyway and that if I could reinvent myself in a different way, I could... continue to have a successful career and and help my family as well. So I dusted off my resume and I got out into the corporate world and I started working customer service. If If you really think about what I was trying to do as an officer, it really came down to customer service. How do you be polite when you're arresting somebody? How do you tell somebody bad news and and provide the best experience in a hard time? So I got into customer service and now I work as an account manager for a software company. Wow, that's interesting. It's it's also pretty interesting that people with any type of medication or mental health issues cannot even come back to work. I feel that, and maybe it's just me, but I mean, I'm, I'm around a lot of different types of people and I feel like a lot of, I think all of us really have, everybody has the, has our, as we're all dealing with our crap, I guess, for lack of, you know, the more, (laughs) yeah. And, and, and I think that a lot of us are probably depressed on some level and we don't even recognize it for myself personally. I had suffered depression for nine years, not realizing that I was in this state until I had a trauma that hit me so badly that all of a sudden I used that to bring myself up. And then looking back on the last previous, the previous nine years, I was, I I realized that I hadn't been happy. I had no idea. And I don't think people realize that. It's almost like, not that, not that you would need to change anything because I think you're in a good position where you are, but I just feel like there's got to be, especially when you're in a position like that and you're dealing with, you really have to be hardened, if you will, to, to exert power 
in that mm-hmm. way. And that's got to be something that emotionally is, I don't want to say that all police officers <laughs> are, are, are depressed, but there's got to be some element of there's, there's happiness in the job. It's, of course, it's very rewarding, but there's also like sadness in the job. And you carry that oh, with you every single every day. day. Yeah, you do. And, and, you know, as a campus police officer, I didn't come across some of the really, really difficult stuff that regular officers have to deal with. You know, we didn't have much, um, many car accidents on campus. We didn't have a senior population where you might have to come on scene and, and rescue someone who's broken their hip, be called into a domestic, a family domestic where there's maybe a gun in the scene in the house. We dealt mostly with students and occasionally with parents as we called them in to help deal with the student crisis. But most of our population was 18 to 24. And, and we, were, we, we were really focused in on things like alcohol use, just maintaining kind of decorum and not letting the alcohol use get out of control, some substance abuse issues. And then all of the things that a student is going through at that age, 18 to 24 is when a lot of mental illness will arise in someone's life. So how do we help the students that were depressed themselves or maybe going through psychosis themselves or just dealing with the, it is a trauma to be separated from your family, right? You've, you've known your family your whole life and now you're off to college and alone and dealing with roommate issues and stuff like that. It's so funny. You're kind of a counselor of all kinds when you're a police officer. But yeah, the, the regular load of an officer for like a city or a municipality is much greater than our, our load at the, at the campus. And I honestly don't know how our officers work, work, like walk around and do their jobs on a daily basis without cracking up. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I guess the, like just hearing it from you a perspective that I don't usually get and this perspective that I think most of us don't get when we're like watching the movies and watching TV shows where the only time they have to consult with, a psychiatrist or, or a therapist is after their firearm went off, whether it's their fault or not. And mm-hmm. I think you, it, it's got to be like, it's almost a job that you kind of need to be able to communicate with somebody on a regular basis, not just when, you know, something like that happens. Yeah. And there's, there's so much stigma, like there's something wrong with you if you need to go talk to someone. And, and, and I think we hold that, you know, as a society. And I think we, we, the, it's magnified in the policing world, right? right? If you, if you are, if you're going to see a therapist, you're not as tough as everybody else. And being a female, you already face that stigma. So that's a definite real thing. It is a fraternity of police officers. And while we are breaking down those boundaries and things, and I think my department in particular was really trying to work on that, it doesn't mean it didn't exist. You have to recognize that all of that was still under the surface. So when I started having trouble, what we do is just stuff it down, right? You Mm -hmm. continue to stuff it. You continue to do your daily life. You try to get through each minute as you can the next minute. And eventually, if you go through enough minutes, enough hours, enough days, just kind of stuffing all your feelings down, something is going to break. Right. Whether you have a bad incident on the street or a bad incident in your house or you end up cracking up like I did and ended up in a in the, in the hospital. Yeah. So one way or another, something's going to pop. And I think that's the real tragedy. Why can't we address things sooner with officers that are in need? So Yeah, you just gave me an idea for my podcast that I just got to start focusing on the police force. <laughs> you know, <laughs> 
But I think in reality, that's why a lot of why, even though the podcast has three different angles, the Mm -hmm. the rising above the ashes, the self-care side and the career trajectory side, I think that in general, we need to not hide away from the fact that we all as a human race suffer. And I think everybody, like I said earlier, everybody has their own crap that they're dealing with, some of which they internalize a lot worse than others and becomes a you know, something that could potentially be an impetus for a for a breakdown. But it's it's not so unusual for that to happen. And I think that, yeah, like just like you were saying, you know, in the police force, that's there's a stigma against that. And I think that we need to normalize it. We need to understand that we're all there. And I'm, I have to say, somebody who's who's who has also kind of felt similarly not comfortable in sharing some of these things, I'm happy to see that the, that, you know, mental health is becoming more in the forefront and that people are able to openly share their, their stories. Like, especially you, Jen, I appreciate you coming out here and exposing your vulnerabilities to me and to our, you know, to the listeners. Right. We can only change it if we talk about it. Right. Like we, um, it's so easy to just, you know, not tell people I take medicine to help me and my moods. It's so easy to to walk around and and my doctor really told me ongoing care for mental health is just as important as if you were a diabetic or a long-term cancer survivor. You need to take your medicine just as regularly as someone that has a condition of a different part of their body. And we tend to treat mental illness like it's again a flaw and it's not a flaw it's actually chemicals in your brain that that cause distorted thinking or distorted reactions so yeah it's it's definitely something that i wish more people would be open about but i can honestly understand why people aren't because it is when you tell someone you've gone to the hospital for mental health care they kind of get this look in there like fear you see like you think of things like one flew over the cuckoo's nest or some other media image of people in having mental health care in a hospital and even myself i was scared to go get help because of those things that are put in the media but a hospital is a place where you go to get better and i'm i think this is a really great segue into what i learned when i was there they Wait, really boiled- before, before you make your segue i just want to uh, yeah. i want to i want to call attention to a really important quote that I think is is super important. I, I heard it in a TED talk. It's by a guy named Guy Winch. And he mm-hmm. he he's, he has a he has a fascinating TED talk. I highly recommend it. It's called Why We All Need to Practice Emotional First Aid. And this quote really stuck with me the first time I heard it several years ago. And again when I heard it more recently, I mean I saved it, hence the reason I'm able to pull this up right in the middle of the podcast. And he said, oh, you're feeling depressed. Just shake it off. It's all in your head. Can you imagine saying that to someone with a broken leg? Oh, just walk it off. It's all in your leg. Huh. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's really powerful. Yeah. You can't, you need a cast. Yep. <laughs> you need time for PT and recovery. You know, it's it's just, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so while we while while I was in the hospital, you go through actual class sessions on on kind of like recalibrating your life. Like okay, now you've had a hard time, ment- you know, with your mental health. So how do you heal? How do you get better? And so we had classes on what I call the basics. So this is kind of how how I came out of it. So obviously because I had sleep deprivation, sleep Practicing and protecting my sleep is the number one self-care that I need to do. 
followed by nutrition because if you're eating junk, you're not going to feel good, right? We all know about like sugar highs and lows and things like that. Exercise and then an area I'll call soulfulness, which I I have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about like that. But I have also, Tamar, we kind of met and I've also been listening to your other podcasts and and every almost every one of them has talked about running as, right. um, as self-care and that's absolutely part of my self-care routine. I, whenever I'm having something stressful, I need to go for a run to kind of get the cycling thoughts out of my head and just continue to meet my daily life after my run, right? I just need to get that out and the stress out of me. So running is a huge self-care moment for me, just like your other guests have said. Right. So talk to me about how, what, what is the sleep uh, training, retraining, if you will. Like, how does that? What What exactly do they do they educate you on when you're when you're going through a regimen like that? Yeah, that's actually a really good point. So, so my sleep dep- deprivation is twofold. It was literally not sleeping enough hours, and also insomnia and post traumatic stress disorder symptoms. Um, which include high anxiety and oftentimes huge amounts of nightmares. So I had the nightmares and, and was not sleeping, So, which is another part of the sleep deprivation. So when I went in there, I talked to the doctors about those nightmares, and they prescribed me a low-dose anti-anxiety medicine that helps me sleep through the night without encountering those those nightmares. I don't have nightmares anymore. So it's incredible because I thought I was doomed to live with these things repeating in my brain for life. And that's just not the case. Another thing that I do for sleep is, you know, when you're laying there in bed and you're, all you can think about is the to-do list and you just sit there and cycle through, or maybe you even cycle through like things you didn't do well that day and kind of beat yourself up with it. I don't, I don't do that anymore. I actually have an app that I put on and it tells me bedtime stories. So I'm off like, just like a kid, like we all need a mental break. So I like literally turn on my app and it puts you to sleep. The, the stories are designed to bring you to a low resting heart rate and, and they sort of slow the speech down and make it quiet and let you drift off. And it's oh, really wow. great. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So what, what app is it? Just out of curiosity. So that's the Calm app, but there's also oh. apps like Headspace and, you know, meditation apps are really great. And some of them will play you like the nature sounds, soft music, that kind of thing, whatever works. But I find the stories distract me and they have both nonfiction and fiction. So you can go on a traveling journey that's a nonfiction piece and learn all about some foreign place you've never been to, or you can go into the fiction world and, you know, they've got some really great bedtime stories there too. Yeah. I have to say that I, Calm had a, uh, around Black Friday, so they had a, a lifetime subscription for mm-hmm. one time only cost. And I, I, I went, I went ahead with it. I haven't quite gotten around the meditation stuff. I just, cannot do it but i am also a fan of calm i do like the apps i i do like the the sleep the sleep stories i've never listened to just because uh sometimes i meditate and if i do it late at night i do see the sleep stories and i always bypass that because i'm trying to still go through the program and trying to get around it but the there's a sam smith uh sleep store it's not a it's a sleep sounds or whatever it is sleep music 
And I don't listen to it for that. I don't, I haven't actually used it to put myself to sleep, but at the same time, I use it for like reading. So it's like a welcome noise versus either the silence of nothingness, which sometimes is, is, is fine, but sometimes that could be a distraction for me. So it's another way to like, to, to redirect my, my focus on the book in front of me. And I found that a lot of that stuff there is, is very calming. You don't necessarily have to use it for to go to sleep. You don't have to use it for meditation. You can use it to, I guess, effectively relax. Just like, you know, the name says calm. And I've used Headspace as well. Um, uh-huh. Headspace did not have that subscription model. So I went with calm. Right. But yeah, no, that's a great app. And I'm glad you recommended that because I was about to say, if, if you named something else, I would have said, yeah, you should check out the calm app. So yeah. Yeah, I know that, you know, I've read some articles and I don't know the statistic, but as Americans, we are incredibly underserved in our sleep. We, we are chronically walking around sleep deprived and not, we don't talk about it. We don't even know that we are. And it's so important. Yeah. Just looking at my husband, he goes to bed after me and he wakes up before me and I just don't understand what he's doing, (laughs) but it is what it is. And I don't know. I feel bad, but that's what he wants to do. He wants to relax in his own way before before bedtime, watching something. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not doing that. So it definitely causes deprivation. And I think as a society, we definitely need to reevaluate in some way. And if not that, then just do something for your brain so that your brain shuts off, or not so much shuts off because it can't but gives your gives that some space and the ability to relax which is the yeah. process, you know, it's the process of meditation but i still i know and i understand the importance of it i just can't quite get there yet well absolutely and sometimes it, it's not your thing so before i learned to use the app i would literally if i was finding myself cycling or having these thoughts like what do i need to do tomorrow what do i need to do tomorrow i need to do this this and this i'd actually get up and write it down and just brain dump and then i could stop doing that cycling because i i had a place where i knew it was saved and i would remember it in the morning right so that yeah. that really helps too yeah i have i have even though they say don't take your phone to your bed, I do that just for the same purpose. I, I don't write it down because it just makes me feel better knowing that it's on the to-do list that I'll be referring to the next day. So I use to-do list app for that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Whatever works for whatever people. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. So tell me about your, you know, we talked about running and I know I do revisit this topic on a regular basis because full disclosure for everybody else out there, there was recruitment for some of my podcast guests in a running group. I have never <laughs> quite said that yet. Um, so, but, but, you know, I, I, I come in the, and I, I know many have listened to the fact that I come from an area where I haven't, like, I still have not. I don't feel like I'm part of the running community yet, but I'm trying to be a runner. And my goal is that people listen, they don't necessarily have to say they're ever gonna be a runner, but maybe there's some some sort of inspiration they can take from the conversations here to potentially start doing something like this. There's the whole exercise out of depression movement. And I guess I wanna hear from you how you how how active you've been in the running space, how you got started and what you're doing now. Absolutely. So 
Um, I started off, um, well, I, I always had a little bit of interest in exercise because, you know, you have to pass the physical achievement levels in order to be a, an officer. But I never had any intentions on ever running. It's not ever been my thing. I'm five foot two, so I'm very, so I, it's always been a challenge because I have short legs and I'm always slower than everybody else. But how I came to, to running is I started at a gym inside. I started where I couldn't even do five minutes on the elliptical, and I started working my way up. I got to an hour and a half on the elliptical, and I was so bored, and they, it was unchallenging, and I wasn't even breaking a sweat anymore. And I was like, okay, I need something different now. So I got heard about couch to 5k apps and so I, I downloaded one of those and I went over to the treadmill side of the gym and I, I started the couch to 5k and then I signed up for a, a 5k actual foot race because I wanted to make sure I challenged myself to actually finish the app right so there had to be kind of a graduation on my end to finish a 5k in real life and after I did that I'm like oh wow I can do this if I do this the next step is a couch to 10k so I did that and then I did it all on the treadmill except for the races because I kind of had a little bit of that fear of running by myself outside and so I started after the couch to 10k you know you're now running for I don't know, for me, it was more than an hour, right? <laughs> I was yep. a very slow runner. So you're running for an hour on a treadmill and it gets really dull. There's nothing to really, I don't really watch TV. So I was cycling the same music over and over and I just got bored. So um, I started looking into running in the area and I found a running shoe store that has all kinds of programs that are designed to help people in our area encourage running. So they have a walk to run program where they end up doing a 5K as a group, as a, as an actual graduation. It's 16 weeks and they do a graduation 5K. And then they, I joined that for a few days and I'm like, I'm a, just a little bit tiny over running them I didn't it was in a local park and they just did a loop and I was passing everybody and I'm like I think I need a little bit more of a challenging group so the the running store also hosts just regular runs three days a week you you start from the store and you go anywhere on there about three miles and and I started running with these groups three times a week and then I started getting addicted to little races because, you know, a lot of races give you metal at the end. <laughs> oh, yeah. I get it. I get it. Yes. I not... <laughs> the only race that had a medal at the end was one that my I ran with my kids and I stole their medal because the adults didn't get any. So there, oh, that's, that's my terrible. sense of accomplishment. I know. <laughs> so I got addicted and so I started doing a little more racing a little bit and I've never you know I think we talked about this on a different podcast but it's never for you know I know I'm never going to be first and fast in fact I'm always a back of the packer but it's just the fact like I can celebrate that I never used to be able to even walk a block and now I can run three miles and or or 10 miles or whatever. So I ended up doing some half marathons. And then I'm like, there's this really nice local race. It's hosted in our area. It's about a thousand people for a full marathon. So, and it's hosted by the running store that I go to. So I decided last year that 2019, I was going to run a marathon. And I did, I, I ran it. I, 
the finish line had gone by the time I was back, but a very wonderful woman was standing there with a box of medals. So I didn't actually clock in at a certain time. I think it was around seven hours it took me, but she made sure I got that medal to put on my wall. Oh, wow. That's, that, that, that's so sad that they left. I'm, a little, <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm upset for you. <laughs> They, I mean, they told us all along that there was a course time limit because of the traffic, you know, control that needed to, they needed, to, after seven hours, you're now running in the mid-afternoon and they need to clear the area for traffic. So I yeah, get it. But come but on, it was, it's a marathon. That's, yeah. that's, that's still like, you know, it's a hard pace to do. It's, it's hard to, to run 26.2 miles, you know? And, you know, full disclosure, um, when you're a new runner, you don't necessarily run every step of a marathon. So I was walking, but I have to, by the end, and I, w I have to say, I still passed four people on the way in to the end of the race. So that was my crowning moment. But then I even have a, even a little bit more of that story. So I, I met a woman from California. I ended up going out to see her, and we ran across the Golden Gate Bridge together. She lives in the San Francisco area. And I'm afraid of heights. So this past year, I've kind of had this mantra of if you can't beat fear, do it scared. So right. that was like that was my 2019 goal also was to run across this bridge with her. And it's 1.7 miles each direction. So that's sustaining your fear across a long period you know that's like an hour for me to run almost four miles so I managed to accomplish that and then she came to visit in Chicago for a trade show so we ended up seeing each other again and we dared each other to enter into the Chicago marathon race which is one of the masters races so it's a big deal there are a lot of race I think it's 40,000 race participants and so we entered the lotto for the Chicago Marathon, and we both got in. And that is incredibly lucky. There are some people that never do make it through the lottery system. So we intend to run the Chicago Marathon in October. Nice, nice. So yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, you know, I, I save all these little quotes that are inspiring. And based on your do it scared comment, if you can't beat fear, do it scared. I have, I have another thing that I saved. I just found this on Reddit two days ago. And I think it's important to read out loud because I think overcoming fear is a huge thing. I think all of us are facing this all the time. I'm facing this right now and I'm sitting here and I'm trying to reinforce the fact that I need to overcome. So I'm just gonna read this. I was 13 years old, trying to teach my six-year-old sister how to dive into a swimming pool from the side of the pool. It was taking quite a while as my sister was really nervous about it. We were at a big public pool and nearby there was a woman about 75 years old slowly swimming laps. Occasionally, she would stop and watch us. Finally, she swam over to us just when I was really putting the pressure on, trying to get my sister to try that dive, and my sister was shouting, but I'm afraid, I'm so afraid. That old woman looked at my sister, raised her fist defiantly in the air, and said, so be afraid, and then do it anyway. That was 35 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. It was a revelation. It is not about being unafraid. It's about being afraid and doing it anyway. Yes, absolutely yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, 100%, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think all of us, it's like, it, even though this is, you know, sometimes we're talking about our physical fitness, but I think in general, I mean, there's, there's like things that you and I right now are probably thinking on our mind that we have fear about. And I think everybody here who's listening probably should say, what is holding you back right now? Fear is holding you back on something. Let's try to overcome it and do it anyhow. 
And Tamar, I, this is part of my self-care soulfulness piece that I wanted to talk about. So I did not naturally have a courageous soul. Um, I've, I've been very timid in my past life. I, I was, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I couldn't even call for pizza because I was so terrified they would yell at me on the other end of the line. And, um, you know, even being through policing, I was still a little bit nervous to, you know, use that energy to confront people. And I have actually built myself a self-care program of finding courage. And I've done that through two different methods. One is through finding courageous music to run to. Things like The Champion by Carrie Underwood, or there's another song called Be Legendary. And I just put that on you know, three hours of positive affirmations that you are awesome and amazing is really great for your soul. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Did I, have you heard? I, I've mentioned this in the past that I listen to Fearless Motivation. It's a Spotify artist. It's also the same stuff. It's very repetitive. Well, it's not very repetitive. It's 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 very repetitive in the in the ideas that you are great. You are amazing. You have a tremendous amount of potential. I think if you haven't checked it out, you should and you should let me know later how you like it. Absolutely, I will. And then my other piece of that is I built myself a, this is so silly, I built myself a Pinterest board of little encouraging quotes. So things like, wake up beauty, it's time to beast, or be a, a warrior, not a worrier. <laughs> and when I get into a moment in my software life where I have to be in charge of the meeting, and sometimes I'm in charge of the meeting when people are not happy with us, and so sometimes I read that Pinterest board before I even go into my meeting. And you know they talk about power poses? Yeah, yeah, I, I was about to say that, actually. <laughs> actually, I do do that, and now I'm telling everyone at work they need to do it too and it's so cool to see this little ripple of courage going through my community <laughs> that's so awesome yeah power posing is really like I, I just read Huddy's presence a few months ago and there's some stuff there that I just couldn't wrap my head behind in the beginning but then it just got into this whole element of you got a positive self-talk a lot of power posing a lot of power posing a lot of power posing and yeah <laughs> all of a sudden I practice it I, like there were some things conversations that I was afraid to face and then just doing that power posing gave me a lot of confidence in the moment. And it's 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 funny because you say, like, there are probably people out there who are thinking, okay, this is all really weird and mumbo jumbo cheesiness, but it's it works. I mean, I would have been, if you, if you bet me that I would, I would be, I would be talking about this a year, a year ago, I'd, I'd laugh in your face. I'd be like, this is ridiculous. But it's true. It's so weird to say, but it's true. It absolutely is. And I agree. Like, I would have been the first one to be, no, that's just silly. <laughs> but, yeah. But it actually does work. After you read your third or fourth article of someone that says, this really works for me, you know, why not try it out? Yeah. But it's funny because you're just like, oh, they're just drinking the same Kool-Aid. But they're really not because clearly there's something here to take away from it. Absolutely. Yeah. I have one more piece of soulfulness that I wanted to share, and this goes back to my high school days of being very introverted and quiet. 
and and what that's what I call spiritual quiet. And it's not it's not that quite the same as meditation. I feel like you can be spiritually quiet with a cup of tea on the couch or spiritually quiet. I I actually am a poet, so I write when I want to get spiritually quiet or just shutting out the hustle and bustle. Maybe this is what people would call unplugging, but that's really something that I feel is very important to your self-care. And and we talk about self-care as like bubble baths and getting your nails done, but it really is an effort to do all of those things that are the basics that um, that are going to serve you long term and not just make you feel good for the moment. You know? Yeah. So I think I, I think I've found something that it's to me kind of like this meditation slash spiritual quiet that you're talking about. I think that I respond better to it. And it took me a really long time. I used to have a fear of driving. Um, I used to love it. And then something happened. I got in a, a tiny little fender bender with a friend of mine in a parking lot <laughs> of all places. And I, I didn't realize that it actually manifested a fear that ended up lasting for, I would say, probably about 20 years or so. And it's, it wasn't until recently, maybe just a little over a year ago, that I started getting confidence to start driving again. And I found that if I listen to my alt-rock music from the 90s and I can harmonize to it and just sing casually and just let it be, let it, let it, I'm not letting it out. I mean, I do have people in the car with me, usually my ch- children <laughs> taking them to school, but it, it gives me that peace of mind and I'm just like, I'm present. And, you know, uh, another thing that kind of goes in tandem with this is Eckhart Tolle, he's an author. He writes these, uh, a bunch of these books on on like uh, on the absoluteness of presence the power of now is actually one of his really big books that came out i don't know about 10 or 15 years ago and it's like i think it brings me to that element of that spiritual quiet that presence even though it's not the same context of which other people are, are kind of experiencing it but this is my experience and all of a sudden i realize that time goes by but i'm feeling you know relaxed and calm and great and there are ways that, that this could be manifested uh, that doesn't have to conform to the way it's been communicated to you in the past. And that's that's that I think is important, that you can find your calmness and your relaxation without having to necessarily meditate or sit on the couch with coffee or write a poem, that it could be just, oh, I don't know, <laughs> sitting in a sauna, doing, I'm not even yeah. sure, I don't want to give anybody any ideas, but there's, there's got to be something there that's going to give you some freedom and peace of mind and happiness and joy. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a book that, so we both read books probably quite a bit, but um, there's a book that I think changed my life. And it, I, I sort of came into reading this book as I was coming into or coming out of a lot of trauma in my life. So it's called Poetic Medicine, and it's really geared kind of towards people who are facing like a medical long-term injury journey, kind of like, you know, writing about maybe coming through cancer. But I think it also applied to me and I found and I was able to relate to that as coming through trauma. So I ended up writing a whole series of poems because of one line in that book. And it said, write from the place where you are sewn together, like the part where you've had to patch yourself, the part where you're cracked and you've had to to reseal yourself. And I put together this whole bunch of poetry and I put it into a book and I, 
And I think part of that trauma was I didn't really allow myself to have a voice. I, you know, again, I was in an abusive marriage, so I, I, I silenced myself so much. Also with policing, you can't really talk about domestic violence in policing worlds. So I silenced myself there. I just came to work. I did my job. I went home. I didn't talk about my life at home. Um, and then being able to do this spiritual quietness of doing the work of healing and, and writing from that kind of broken place and getting that out of me and putting it in paper. And then ultimately I put that into a book called Battle Cry. Um, getting that out has been the most healing self-care ever for me. Like that, if, if I could say the number one thing that came out of all of that self-care journey would be the book. Wow, that's really cool. It's amazing that you had so many ideas that kind of just stemmed from this area that you've been consistently patching. But mm -hmm. now that I'm thinking about it, I probably have a memoir to write from those kind of things. So, yeah. You should. I, you know, <laughs> I it's, it's anyone to start writing. <laughs> I have. I actually am in the middle of, uh, I have a tab open on my browser right now. That's It's like 100 plus pages of a memoir. I'm trying to figure it out. Although it's it's a lot of just little little tidbits, a couple uh, through the last couple of years in aggregate, uh, most of which is not quite organized. But I'm thinking about it. Uh, I haven't quite written the last twenty, no, the last ten ish years of my life. I've only started really doing the beginning. That that those are the, that probably for me is the hardest part to kind of get into the to the more recent stuff, but. Yeah, yeah, I probably will. I can't wait to read your book someday, Tamar. Oh, man. <laughs> I fully believe you're going to publish that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well, I have written two books in the past, but they had nothing to do with me. So getting into this context, is, is it's a very, it's very raw, very vulnerable. I basically, I'm not withholding any information, but that could be a really, it's a blessing or a curse, and I'll probably lose all my friends. So I'm not sure if I should be doing this yet. I'll think about it. Maybe I'll send it to you beforehand to see what you think. Well, like I said, I am a big proponent of let's talk about the hard stuff. And that's what my book Battle Cry is all about. Like this is these are journeys that I think it's really important if you're writing that story, at least one other human on this planet is has a similar story to that story, right? So if you have trauma, if you have a, a, a really big thing that you're wrestling with, we have community just because we're human. And if you can put that on paper and, and, or say it out loud, maybe at an open mic or say it out loud, even reading it to your family, somebody's going to have empathy with you on that. And it draws us together in, and able to heal us just that much more in the world. And I call that making ripples, right? We, we put ourselves out there. We, we tell about the hard stuff. Like Oprah wouldn't be Oprah if she didn't open up the hard part of her life also and, and inspire us with some of those hard things that she's faced, right? And all the other people that are out there that are acknowledging that, hey, I was hurt in this way and it really hurt and this is how I got through it. We're really providing roadmaps for other people that might have similar hurts that don't know how to get through those things themselves. Right. Yeah, but it's difficult. It's definitely difficult. Like mm -hmm. I, I've, I spoke to my mother and, you know, my whole story really starts from like when I was born to like today. And so I had spoken to my mother a few weeks ago and I just said, tell me about my birth, the circumstances surrounding my birth. She's like, why do you want to know? <laughs> oh, I'm writing a <laughs> memoir. Uh, don't do that. You know, like, because <laughs> she knows that I've been through, um, 
it's stuff that I don't think she would want me to share with the world. And at the same time, that kind of compels me because, yeah, there are other people who probably relate to this in, in ways that they wouldn't have otherwise thought about. And if not all of it, I mean, of course, there's little things here and there, but there's going to be some stuff that there will be important takeaways. I mean, I just read Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, and yeah, there's stuff that most of it I don't relate to. But at the same time, just to see where how she's grown and how she's blossomed into where she is now, it's it's fascinating to read, to, to get that perspective, regardless of whether I identify with it. Absolutely. And I have hope that when we do that hard work to kind of heal those things in ourselves and talk about them, that somebody else will also feel empowered to do the same. And whatever they do with that energy, I hope that would be good energy put out into the world. I'm not going to get into religion, but I just think my whole existence of getting uh, getting into that spiritual quiet is to get into a place where we can make ripples to help the world heal in whatever way that is and it's yeah sharing. It's right starts at home starts in your heart and how are you going to heal that place right yeah cool all right so i'm gonna wrap up i'm gonna wrap up with one final question for you if you okay. can give if you can give the younger jen some advice what would you tell her Oh, that's a really great question. Um, I would think it would be don't silence yourself. I think we have a lot of like internal rules that we follow. Like I had one that I would like I would tell myself like I'm not going to get divorced because I came from a divorced parent. My parents were divorced, and so my internal rule was I'm never getting divorced. I don't care what he does. I don't care what I have to face. I am never getting divorced. And when you're with an abuser, that is not uh, healthy for you. (laughs) When you have these internal rules and then you're also silencing yourself and not being true about who you are and your journey, then you're not going to come out well. Things are going to continue to go downhill and it's going to hurt. And you can save yourself so much hurt if you can find that doing it, even if you do it scared, find that way of living. I had a really great mentor who once told me, you can say anything to anyone as long as you're, you, you're careful of your tone. And sometimes when I have a really hard customer service moment, or I have to be upfront with a friend that where you know, maybe I might have to disappoint them, or I have to tell my boss some uncomfortable news or whatever it is, like if you say it, with a respectful tone and you say it and you leave it there on the table like um hey i don't really want to go do this thing with you my dearest friend but i'm just not interested in doing that particular thing and then stop and put a period on it you you can say that one sentence and own it and then you're going to be that much more courageous for having said it instead of feeling bad that you let that sit and then you ended up having to go do that thing with your friend you really didn't want to do. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. (laughs) I actually, I I recently did that. I faced my fears of approaching someone with something that if I otherwise withheld it, it would have eaten me alive. And it was difficult. It was definitely difficult because what I was going to say wasn't exactly the most, the kindest thing. It was more expressing my feelings about being slighted in a way that I wasn't, I didn't feel it was justified. And I have to say, I was fearful because it, at least in that specific case, I thought it would ruin a re- relationship. And instead, I think it actually strengthened it. So if if I hadn't done it, I would have still been sitting here thinking, 
I I didn't I didn't act I didn't act I didn't act and I would I would be like eating I would just be miserable but now that I did it the outcome was better than I expected so I think our anticipatory anxiety our anticipation for for rejection of what we would have if we don't act is probably worse than when we actually do act I agree I agree and not only that you're doing yourself a disservice that because you're not able to be upfront with someone else that's actually causing harm and like you said anxiety and and it's not it's not aligning with your core so you're actually bringing yourself out of spiritual or mental comfort when you when you have to when you have to sit with something you don't want to and you can't talk about it with that person it's just never going to turn out well for yourself and i think we have to treat ourselves with the most love and kindness that we possibly can cool well um yeah no this, this has been great and I, I appreciate you taking the time and sharing this with me and getting real and getting authentic and and feeling you know hopefully this reinforces all of these concepts both in your mind and mine and everyone else's and it will there'll be a lot of great benefit derived from what we've listened to and shared thank you so much for having me tamar and i can't wait to hear about the other amazing ladies you're going to have on your podcast i yeah. i've really been enjoying listening to the episodes and i just really appreciate this opportunity yeah yeah likewise it's really been an honor to have you here jen so thank you so much thank you all again for tuning in this is your host tamar weinberg of the common sense podcast Till next time 